the front row seats to your 2021 local elections. All of it right here on Local Voices, Mondays from 7 to 8 p.m. Join the conversation on Twitter. Tweet us at VowFM, hashtag Local Voices. VowFM 88.1. It's just gone one minute after 7 o'clock right here on VFM 88.1. Thank you so much for joining me on the first edition of our brand new show, Local Voices. I'm your host, Osiabo Ngamota. We're together all the way until 8 p.m. And we'll be doing this for the duration of the 2021 election season, every Monday between 7 and 8 p.m. Now, on this show, we'll be having discussions around the elections, the local government elections, all breaking news, analysis, debate, but most important to, importantly, to hear your opinions around the current political system in the country and your views about the upcoming elections. Taking a look on what we'll be doing this evening. Now, the 2016 to 2021 term of political parties in Houting municipalities uh, and also looking at how parties performed previously and also political factions that we have seen uh, towards the 2016 local government elections. We want to also look at the current political setup in South Africa and also possibilities of coalition after these elections. We'll be joined by political analyst Sanusha Naidu from the Institute of Global Dialogue, Professor Barry Hanyane from the Northwest University and also our feature local voices across the country. will be joined by Innocent Maloy, Senior Paralegal Officer from the South African African Independent Advocacy Group um, will be joining us to discuss service delivery in Cebu King. You can also join this conversation um, on Twitter at VowFM, uh, uh, but uh, WhatsApp and Facebook, Instagram are currently down worldwide as the reports have been coming through in the past few minutes, but you can call in on 011-717-9881. But before we get into the conversation, let's look into our election stories. Get all your 2021 local elections news and updates right here on Local Voices, VOW FM 88.1. Now we begin with this. Uh, the Democratic Alliance in Egurulen has introduced its councillor and PR candidates ahead of the upcoming local government election. Speaking to the media in Jemistin, east of Johannesburg, Egurulene, mayor candidate, mayoral candidate rather, Rifile Nseke says her party will ensure that the city is a world class city and that there are reportedly 112 wards up for grabs in the metropolitan in uh, the city of Ekrulene. And also moving to other news, the African Christian Democratic Party, also known as the ACDB, says should it be voted into government, it will intensify the fight against corruption in the public sector and deliver better services to the communities. And just to look at the last story, it would be a story from the Indie... Oh, before I move on, actually the ACDP leader, Reverend Kenneth Meshwe, said that under the current government, corruption has crippled the state institutions and in some cases collapsed the country's institutions. Now, that's what the, the, the Reverend, Reverend Meshwe, the leader of the African Christian Democratic Party, said when they were launching their manifesto. And moving to the last story, it would be a story from the Independent Electoral Commission. 
that uh, where it says and it has until uh, or it had until this morning to reportedly explain why Action SA's name was allegedly omitted from the ballot list. I think if you see, saw it on the on, on the internet, you would realize that um, the the name Action SA it was just a logo. There was no the name was not on the side next to the box where um, a person would be a voter would cast it, would would scratch or I mean tick for their vote. So says uh, the parties is the party is threatening to take legal actions against the the IEC for for for. For this omission um, and this follows the IEC's final draft pilot papers for what in Houting which contain just a logo yeah it has just a logo the party revealed that this will limit chances for the for its supporters to identify its candidates and party leader Herman Mashaba says his party has been informed the matter will not be addressed all right that's uh, what we're looking into when it comes to our election stories this week Get all your 2021 local elections news and updates right here on Local Voices, VOW FM 88.1. Looking into the 2021 local elections. This is Local Voices, exclusive to VOW FM 88.1 just gone six minutes after seven o'clock now how did some political parties perform in the past elections and what happened when we are seeing all these factions across the country now on the line we are joined by sanusha naidu from a political analyst from the institute of uh, global dialogue sanusha thank you so much for joining us Oh, good evening and thank you for having me. Sorry about that. Let me just close that. <laughs> now, in, in 2011, the Democratic Alliance or the, Demo- the Democratic Alliance um, came out as strong in those elections now as a strong opposition to the ANC. And we have witnessed its growth under the leadership of Helen Zille. What are some of the mechanisms that they were using at the time to, you know, to make things strong and maybe look appealing to the people, the potential voters of the party? Yeah, I think the Democratic Alliance is, is quite an interesting uh, opposition party in terms of its evolution. So you know, it starts off at a very low base around about 1994 because it wasn't the Democratic Alliance at the time. It was the Democratic Party. It was the evolution of the Progressive Federal Party, which was you know the the combination of, of how um, Frederick Franzel Slabert and Helen Sussman kind of became stalwarts in in terms of their political career and um, their role in politics uh, under the apartheid regime and evolving into a post-apartheid state, particularly uh, uh, Fanzel Slabbard. And then, of course, the party goes through this process of evolution. It starts off at a very small pace, but it manages to capture electoral space because of its its relationships it's crafted Um, and also the leadership that it had under Tony Leon. And thereafter, I think um, the, the, the role that the party played in terms of Helen Zilla. But it, it, it was able to do that in the in the context of what was happening in the broader landscape of South Africa's electoral uh, in terms of South Africa's electoral spaces. For example, the Nationalist Party, which evolved into the new Nationalist Party, kind of took on that whole role of becoming that 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 actor in the government of national unity, and so the Democratic Party was essentially, you know, quite small in terms of its electoral footprint. But then, of course, as the NNP as the NP evolved into the new Nationalist Party, it started to deal with serious constructional constraints. Also, because it was never really comfortable in a government of national unity, it always had this identity crisis. But it stuck to its guns in the Western Cape, and that became its 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 big kind of electoral positioning. So it kind of 
talked about coalition at the national level, but become became very parochial in, in, in the Western Cape. But as it started to go through its existential crisis of not getting proper leadership and so forth, and not being able to translate its, its electoral uh, mandate in terms of its, its role, the, D, the DP started to evolve. It started to, you know, it entered into this relationship. It started to see the weaknesses of the Nationalist Party, new Nationalist Party, and it just capitalized on that. And so I think, you know, in 1999, it was a big moment for the Democratic Party because you had uh, Tony Leon and this whole electoral strategy of using uh, the minority fears and moving into that space quite uh, significantly. And then it just evolves in that way. I think the dipping point comes in around 2016. Um, for the Nationalist Party, uh, for the uh, Democratic Party, not because it didn't able to move beyond the Western Cape in terms of coalitions, but just in terms of what kind of coalition partners it, it went into, into, into arrangements with. And so you see the tensions in the Eastern Cape in the Nelson Mandela Bay, you see the tensions in Gauteng, you see the, the, the fact that even in its own party, leadership crises with uh, leaders like Musi, uh, like Herman Mashaba, Musi Mehmane, and then of course 2019 just becomes that pivot towards how much the party is winning at the national level and how much of it it will win in terms of this election. So I think those are some of the trends and, and, and processes to watch out for. I mean, before we move to other political parties talking about the the issues that they might be facing, still talking about the Democratic Alliance, the, we've, we, we did see after the resignation, or, well, let's say it's the, the build-up of the 2019 general elections that there were calls mm-hmm. on the side for former of the, its former leader, Musimai Mane, to step aside. But I think those talks became even more stronger after the 2019 elections. What are some of the issues that were, I would say, were, were build-ups or were pushing um, the party to recall its former leader? You know, Sivonga, uh, it has to do with the fact that do these leaders have the flexibility and the space in terms of the proposals that they put forward? I, I think for Musim Amani, it was really his question of how he interpreted transformation in the party and the policies of transformation in the party. And you begin to see that there's a very rigid space for those kinds of uh, levels in how you and I interpret into, uh, transformation, which will always not be in complete consensus with each other. We'll have different interpretations. But I think in the DA, it had to be the uniform line. It had to be the fact that if you want to bring in quotas, for example, that was one of the issues that they had serious um questions about at the federal council. You know, the federal council is the equivalent of the ANC's elective conference. And so at that uh, federal council meeting where he, he presented his plan about how he interprets transformation, it was shut down. And I think that is where the the rubber started hitting the road for, 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 for Musi. Then he became part of this whole process of conforming to what were the levers behind the scenes of how that was being uh, shaped in, and influenced by who were the technocrats, who were the who were the guard, who were the old guard versus the new guard. Was this was a party essentially opening up the space for this younger generation to come through? But it didn't start with Musi, by the way. It kind of. You know, she doesn't say it so much, but it kind of started with Lindiri Mazibuko. You know, that whole tension in, in, in 2014, I think it was, quite interestingly, where Helen, you know, unveiled Musi, and I, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, uh, as, as, the, as, as her successor. So I think the party kind of struggles with that because there are those voices that 
kind of get marginalized. And then, of course, the question of Herman Mashaba and others that went through. And then, of course, let's not forget Patricia DeLille and her debacle with the party. So I think it's those tensions of how they deal with personalities, how they deal with the, the question of proposals put forward. Do they deviate from the norm or do they play to the norm is a question there. I think there was a time where one of the DA members, members of parliament, um, uh, Mike Waters, where he, he said the DA needs to go to its core liberal, liberal values. That is a time after Musi had resigned and also some members of the DA, prominent leaders of the DA had resigned at the time. I, I, how would we interpret um, his words of uh, putting the DA back to its core liberal values? I'm not sure what core liberal values are. Uh, liberal values are liberal values, no matter how you interpret it. Um, and I think they are essentially uh, part of the way in which we've interpreted liberal democracy and looked at what liberal democracy means. I think the big debate in, in, in countries where you have serious issues of how do you how do you integrate and how do you deal with transformation, particularly in such unequal societies, whether we're talking about it in the context of race or we're talking about it from a material perspective in terms of uh, people being able to access the resources of the country, have equitable kind of uh, access to this. I think the liberal value system tends to mask some of that. So I'm not sure what the core liberal values are. Perhaps the, the and I don't want to interpret what the, 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 the DA MP was trying, to, to, inf, in, in, uh, trying to, to raise or infer in terms of what he or saw as the core liberal values. But I think it's just that, that, that you've got to stick to the, to the script. I think that's what it means. You've got to stick to what the script tells you about liberal democracies, the role of the state, how much the market has to be, the invisible hand, um, allow those, those kind of flourishing of the of, of, of the way in which market conditions are not necessarily about statecraft and how statecraft impacts on the market, but let the market evolve, you know, very much the invisible hand of the market. But we know that these things, the, the, this compatibility between the market and liberal and the liberal democracy has been shown to have certain contradictions. We saw this in the crisis of 2007, 2018 in, 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 the, in uh, Europe and in, in the U.S. We see this in the crisis of how, for example, um, there's a question about whether you, the trickle-down effect works. So I think, you know, it's about, in my interpretation, it's about sticking to that script. But we do know in terms of the global discourse that the liberal democratic order or the liberal world order is going through its existential kind of, of, of reflection. And it's not always one that comes out on tops because... If I have to be really uh, uh, specific, let me give you an example. When Reagan economics and Thatcherite economics emerged in the in the early 80s, when those two, pre, uh, the Prime Minister of the of the UK and the President of the US, came into power, they came in with very strict market-led approaches to the way in which state governance, economic development will evolve. That actually caused the start of the pushback by in those communities, in those societies, of how those uh, individuals didn't feel the trickle-down effect that improved their livelihoods. Now, you multiply that in South Africa, and given the historical ex uh, context of our society and how unequal and asymmetrical it was, the question of apartheid and so forth, it becomes that much more difficult to navigate. So I think at the end of the day, it is how do you navigate a democracy and how do you interpret the democracy that 
takes into consideration what you and I and your parents and, and of course all your communities, people who have been on the fringe of democracy for the longest time ever, how do they interpret what that democracy means to them? If you just joined us, you are listening to Local Voices right here on VARFM 88.1 as I'm in conversation with Sanusha Naidu, political analyst from the Institute of Global Dialogue. Now, Sanusha, I want us to move into the African National Congress, the ANC. In both the city of Johannesburg and uh, uh, city of Tswane, they did not get secure a 50% outright majority to govern those uh, two metros. In, in, in Tswane to the build-up of the elections in 2016, there were those protests around the appointment of um, Togo Titiza to be the mayoral candidate for the city. And um, I think a great number of uh, residents of Pretoria did not take it the way the party had anticipated they will. And that caused the party. Could we say that the, the, the appointment of, of Togo Titiza caused the, 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 the city, or we can look at, say, there were issues around the incident, including the, the, the calls for former President Jacob Zuma to resign. I, I think it goes much deeper than that. I think it's a combination of issues. Um, and, 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 and these combination of issues are not necessarily only about whether or not uh, residents and uh, those at the, at the local structures at the branch structures uh, were not necessarily in tune with what the Tuli House was saying around this. So I think at the end of the day, it has to be about, you know, a situation that was manifesting for the longest time ever. Because I think that in addition to whether you you saw the the the, the candidacy of Toko Dediza and of course the question of whether uh, the, the, the the whether it was the branch structures or the residents in Swane saying Jacob Zuma must, must resign. I think it's a, it's a deeper question of what's what was happening in the party. And so when we fast forward to 2021 or we fast forward to 2019, I think you realize how deep the cleavages are in the party around these tensions, the, the, the kind of what we now say as, 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 as real factional battle lines, how much the party is not just about a governing party, but how much the party represents a particular livelihood for people and how do you need to get on those lists. So I think those are questions about, you know, did the party deliver also? in terms of the service delivery mandate. You know, if you look at Schwane today, if you look at uh, the city of Johannesburg today, you look at how residents are experiencing the kind of service delivery challenges. I mean, I think in, in, in Schwane, uh, in some parts of Schwane, the residents have gone without water for days. In parts of Johannesburg, it's both electricity and water. And so all of these things has been, you know, if you, if you outsource the service delivery of the, of the city, has there been a deliverable? Has it been a sustained? Has it been a valuable deliverable? And so I think that is also a combination of perhaps not just about what is happening internally in the party, but also the experience and the lived experience of not just those areas that you know that are that are constantly complaining, but also in those areas that are on the on the periphery are constantly living in a state of daily struggle. You know the housing situation, the water and sanitation crisis, uh, the question of whether or not ran water decides to cut your water because they have a, a debt issue or they haven't paid ESCOM and the question of what people have been doing because just to get electricity people have done illegal connections so ESCOM comes along and cuts it but then look what happened in Alex people said no 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 you can't do that so I think it's a combination of those issues that reflected in why 
For example, in 2016, you also had the protest force against the ANC. Now, in, in the city of Johannesburg, I think we had Pulema, uh, the spokesperson of the ANC, saying the newly elected mayor, yes, is in office now, but that does not um, secure or guarantee that they, he will be the preferred or the, the mayor should the, the, the party um, um, gain vote. Could we say those are some of the issues that um, the ANC is also having in, 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 in these coming elections? Yeah, I think, you know, I think what Pule Mabe has said also reinforces what the president said in one of his election campaign trails, where the issue of the candidate lists have become quite a critical or a significant feature and factor. I mean, you see in certain areas, the communities are protesting against the candidate list, the ones that have been now submitted to the IEC, or they're protesting about the names of who appears on the candidate list. So it's it's a very it's a very real issue on the ground, uh, whether for legitimate reasons or illegitimate reasons, however you may want to interpret it, it has become a serious disruptor to the ANC. And it hasn't been just in this election. I think it has become more pronounced and more embedded in, in the run-up to this election, but it has been happening for the longest time ever. I mean, I remember in 2014, there was a group of, of, of disgruntled ANC supporters that were protesting outside Lutuli House just before the, 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 the candidate list could be, or the or, or, the, or the question of the candidate list could be con- con- confirmed in terms of who they wanted at in terms of provincial government. But then even in the run-up to 2016, it was the same thing. But it has just become that much more pronounced. It has become that much more serious, and it, beca- it has become that much more critical because, as I said earlier, it's a livelihood. People are wanting to be on it because they need that job. And it's not just that they need the job for whatever reason. It becomes a patronage network and becomes a rent-seeking behavior in other instances. So I think at the end of the day, if the ANC is going to say that the the mayor of Johannesburg, your, 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 your position is not guaranteed, that means you've got to multiply that across nine provinces. And you've got to multiply that across how many ward councils and how many... Uh, uh, municipalities. And I think at the end of the day, that is also a deepening concern for those who feel, hey, hang on, this is not a guaranteed job anymore. Uh, and so it's becoming a serious, I mean, literally people are being assassinated to get onto lists. Where did we see that? Yeah, I think I think you're raising very um, um, th- um, important points for for most people to look into, and and and, and still still in the city of Johannesburg, and I think that has been the biggest highlight um, in the history of South Africa, and in terms of now having the Democratic Alliance in a coalition partnership with certain political parties and a voting um, arrangement with the EFF, and after the resignation of uh, Mayor Mashaba. And then everything collapsed and now the ANC took over. We saw some political parties who voted with the DA now voting with the ANC. How do we see their performance around this time around? Because I think one person would sit down and say, hang on, at some point you were voting with the DA. Now you've changed tones and you're voting with the ANC. We're talking about political parties like the IFP, uh, like COPE, like... um, uh, Al Jama, the, and and uh, yeah, and what's what's uh, uh, there's there's quite a number of them um, that voted with the with 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 the DA and later voted with the ANC. Then could could we see people on the ground saying, oh whoa, which one, which one is which, which one are you going with this time around? Yeah, I think it's a very valid point to raise. Uh, two words for you: political expediency on the part of political parties, because that's how they see their their work. They see it in very reductionist ways at times. Um, it's about their survival, 
but they should not discredit how much of memory the electorate has in those situations and instances because it comes back you know it comes back to the question of trust it comes back to the question of credibility it comes back to the question of whether you really are there to represent the interest and voice of the of the people and the electorate and those who have voted for you and when you start doing that when you start you know um not necessarily call it musical chairs, but when you start floor crossing um, like you do, you know, moving from one to the other, then of course the electorate becomes a bit more circumspect and they say, well, hang on, you know, these people come to us every five years, make all these beautiful promises and and and, and commitments. And then of course, when it comes to the real issue in the, in, in the council chamber or in the, in the metro or wherever, they kind of just completely forget that we were the ones that put them there. Let me give you an example. In, in KZN, I think it was in, uh, in the 2004 election, if I'm not mistaken, at the national and provincial level. This little small party called the Minority Front, who I think you'll remember, very, uh, it had a very colorful leader called Mr. Raj Bansi. And he won a a, a good margin of the Indian vote in case in in the Durban uh, uh, area, in the area of of, of Arena Park, which was a very important area that he was quite a, uh, he had quite a support base. And so he became the swing voter. He became that swing party for the ANC and the IFP. And so what he did was he took his votes and he went into this un, I wouldn't call it official, but it was an informal arrangement with the ANC in the province where he took his two votes, his two seats in the provincial legislature and managed to craft one seat for his, his part, for himself, for the party in the national legislature. And that was a deal that they made, I think, behind the scenes. And the Indian community in that area became very disgruntled. They said, hang on, hang on, hang on. We voted for you. We didn't vote for the ANC. If you wanted to vote for the ANC, we'll vote for the ANC. So I think smaller political parties have to be careful particularly when they're thinking about how expediency works in councils and metros and so forth, they've got to be careful in assuming that once they get the vote, then it's carte blanche to do what they want and how they want to play their arrangements with different political parties. But at the end of the day, I think it's also very critical for them to be careful, particularly for the bigger political parties, because the DA's experience has not been one that has been, um, you know, a coherent experience, but also one that has been a, a, a an amicable experience. Because at the end of the day, they had to contend with what was happening in the in in, in the in the Nelson Mandela Bay uh, with the UDM and and and, and the UDM uh, leader at that point. They made him the mayor. Then, of course, there was that whole incident about corruption. Then they tried to get rid of him. But in the smaller towns in the Western Cape as well, when you go for not the not your mainstream political parties like your UDM and your IFP or your Good or your Cope, but you're going for community based. Um, political parties, parties that emerge out of community-based organizations and associations, like in the Karoo, the Karoo community-based party, you know, or in the Northern Cape, when you have someone like John Block, uh, infamous John Block. So I think at the end of the day, they don't form or they don't conform to the values of what the DA thinks. And so you're kind of getting into a relationship and an arrangement with them. But when the coalition starts to think about how it works in practice, 
you see these tensions emerge. And then, of course, the DA takes a very principled stance on issues. But then, of course, the other community based, they say, no, 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 we are the kingmakers here. So you've got to be really, really careful in assessing who your coalition partner is, but also be careful because if you start swinging through the revolving door, you may just swing yourself out of politics as well. Sanusha, before I let you go, I want you, us to look into political parties like the National Freedom Party that did not take part in the local government elections in 2016 because of late registrations, and also looking at political parties like the PAC, um, the Congress of the People. Um, how how are they likely to perform at this time around? Because last time the numbers were really not promising. I think, Sir Bonga, it's going to be even an even harder uphill battle for these parties. I mean, if the last indication of the election results are that they haven't been performing well, the problem you have, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the stats of how many political parties are contesting this national, this local government election. More than 310. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous that you can afford to do this. Uh, it's taking multi-party democracy literally to its hilt in South Africa. So I think the problem with that is um, they, there will be those political, it depends whether those political parties are able to gain any traction, retain any of their voters, because voter attrition has really been a key issue in the, in the electoral uh, voters role in the, in terms of the registration period. I think we not, we don't have the numbers that we saw uh, in terms of the increase of local government uh, election voter turnout or, or the percentage of turnout. I think they, we, we, some of the analysis I saw are predicting about a 10% decline, if not more. So I think at the end of the day, these parties are going to find it much more difficult in terms of firstly retaining their relevance, but then also retaining their voter base and then trying to make inroads into others. So I'm really worried. And I think maybe um, there should be a better model and a better kind of checks and balances and an internal mechanism that says you can't have 310 plus parties contesting uh, more than whatever, uh, 4,000 plus war, uh, 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 wards and, and, and so forth, or voter stations across the country, and I don't know, nine, 99 or just under 100,000 um, uh, wards and so forth. Because at the end of the day, it kind of takes this democracy into a Mickey Mouse approach. You know, I, if I have the resources, I can contest. I don't have to contest at all level, but I can choose where I want to contest. But you have to then say that there must be some level of checks and balances, because what happens is that it complicates the electoral landscape. Sanusha, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. It's always lovely to be on the show. And yeah, good luck with your with the rest of the evening. <laughs> that was Sanusha Naidu, political analyst from the Global Institute Dialogue, talking to us about, you know, the build-up to the 2016 elections and what has been happening in the past five years. Half past seven, we'll take a short break now and come back with more. Get to know what's happening in and around the political landscape. Local Voices on VOW FM. Mondays from 7 to 8 p.m. Vow FM 88.1. Welcome back. Now, we, our team went out to get your views on the manifestos and what the, obviously what the political parties have presented. And this is what you had to say. So, like, these manifestos uh, become redundant because, you know, they repeat the same thing over and over again. But um, in terms of, like, voting, I, I see a lot of billboards, so, um, you know, the political parties haven't allowed the pandemic to deter their, their ambitions, you know, of, of, of being uh, 
in government. So, yeah, I, I mean, the advertising has been really good, especially also the social media. But it's not about, for me, even about the manifesto. You can have a lot of manifestos, but at the end of the day, they don't even do what is said. I mean, I want things to be done. I mean, you could say all these things, but at the end of the day, youth unemployment in South Africa is still so very high. Um, think about, just isn't even that just happened last year in general, Uguti businesses, a COVID relief fund or whatever that, that case might be, it still didn't happen. All those things that happened, um, rather, there's no accountability. Well, there's so many questions around accountability, around what the manifestos has been presented, you know, from, I don't know, since we started having democratic elections in South Africa. It's quite a lot of things that people have in mind. You can share yours um, on Twitter at VFM. Um, that's the, our handle, and you can call in at 011-717-9881. Okay, after this, we're getting into the conversi- conversation with Dr. Barry Hanyani. Get all your 2021 local elections news and updates right here on Local Voices, VOW FM 88.1. Now, in less than a month, South Africans will be heading to the polls for the sixth local government elections. There's, there's still a big question or issue around service delivery, slow economic growth, which resulted in high unemployment rate. Now, up to this day, South Africans are still questioning uh, many of the promises that were made previously by different political parties. To look at the, uh, the current political setup in South Africa, on the line, I'm joined by Professor Barry Hanyane from the university or the Northwest University, who is a professor at the Humanities Faculty. Professor, thank you so much for making time into speaking to us. Good evening, studio. Good evening to your listeners. Now, we saw the build-up during the 2016 local government elections where it was completely different to what we're seeing today. We had political parties mm-hmm. like, sorry, political leaders rather, like Musi Maimane, Mandi Somashiko being the ones at, at, at the front. But today, that has all changed. Is this a new yes. transition in the political space of uh, South Africa? Circumstances have shifted. We have new challenges. Reality has dawned upon us. We are way past the romanticization of the African democracy a la South African style. The honeymoon is over. Unfortunately, Indicators of economic performance per se are pointing southwards. Unemployment has increased. Unemployment amongst the youth is one of the highest in the world, sitting approximately at 74%. I had a pleasure to be invited by the Human Rights Commission the entire week last week in Mpumalanga. All 17 municipalities are in the red between about 15 and 20 billion rands has been lost. What more about other provinces? My very own here adopted. Northwest, 22 municipalities are in the red. Of the 22, five must be dissolved per cabinet resolution. And then, of course, there's issues of underperformance in the broader areas of service delivery. Uh, the situation is dire indeed. Hmm. Now, there are new political parties that we have seen coming in in the, in the political space, like Action SA, led by former Jobek Mayor Herman Mashaba. But we've also seen the Black First Land First being, you know, registered again um, um, by the IEC after it was, you know, 
question about its uh, some of their you know policies in their in, the, in their founding document. Um, could we see changes um, in these elections in terms of more political parties now getting a stake in in different councils? Well, I can assure you one thing: the days of one party influence are gone. It's official. You will have the current majority party enjoying somewhat of a support that I'm afraid is also dwindling in rural provinces as well as rural municipalities, where sentimental vote still persists and perhaps it will still be offered to the ANC on the basis of sentimental reason and less so on the basis of track record and less so on the basis of policy impetus. What you are sitting at right now is the projection that surely demonstrates that uh, there won't be outright winners in metros. That is a given. So perhaps Western Cape, Cape Town in particular, might enjoy a slight edge on the part of the DA for obvious reasons. But with the rest of the metros, I'm very doubtful that we will get a 50 plus one winner who will claim uh, full power in terms of managing these metros. I think coalition governance is the way to go. And if I had to give advice to a number of the major political formations or parties, negotiations should start now. Identifying new kingmakers, the ESF might not enjoy that position alone. Surely smaller parties, Action SA being the new baby, Gauteng in particular, might be the kingmaker. If not, it could surprise everyone, but I think that position of being a kingmaker might be a comfortable position for them, although that's not exactly what their ambitious take would accommodate. And then, of course, there's other metros as well to contest, which, in my view, Ekurulen, for instance, will remain a hamstrung metro and others as well. So the season of coalition has begun, and I think it will be with us for a foreseeable future. Still talking about coalition, you know, because we know political parties have different political ideologies in terms of some parties being liberal, some parties being, you know, um, socialist, some being, you know, communist parties. Social democracy. Social democracy, of course. But then when it comes to the build-up to these, you know, partnerships and coalition governments, don't you think yet again the political differences when it comes to uh, the ideologies will crumble and cause the cracks that we, we, we've witnessed in, 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 in three metros, the city of Joburg, Tswan, and Nelson Mandela Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as the nature of any union, um, it's up to parties to start now maturing and say, despite ideological differences, uh, the exploitation of the middle ground, if there is any, and I hope there is any, especially in a developing country like ours where we're still struggling to deal with basic issues in relation to service delivery, clean water, good infrastructure, maintenance of infrastructure, uh, issues of electricity. That common space is there. The question is, how do we make sure that you have a public service and a local government system that understands meritocracy, that's driven by results and not driven by political influence? 
Once you are able to establish that and make sure that those who are in power are held accountable for all decisions made, bad and poor, and you are able to punish in the process uh, those who are found wanting, and of course ensuring that capable persons with the right expertise, the right attitude, the right acumen are placed in strategic positions. And all of this is obviously driven towards changing and, and achieving good results. Then we're in a safer place. I think, I think what happened, at least in the last five years, it's unfortunate that too much emphasis has been on politics and too much emphasis has been on ide- ideologies per se. And I'm not saying ideologies should be cut out altogether. I think this is what makes politics alive. But the danger is that once you put too much emphasis on that, governance systems, are bound to suffer because they're at the mercy of political influence, political outcomes, and and perhaps by and large political trajectory, which might not necessarily favor a result outcome that we all appreciate, especially in a in a thriving democracy like ours today. In 2017, when President Cyril Ramaphosa was voted uh, to be the president of the ANC, and I think. So many media houses reported the, around the uh, President Ramaphosa being the face of change, you know, coming yeah. up with new strategies yeah. to, to the fight corruption. The Ramaphoria, yes. Yeah. Could we say this is, is what we're seeing today in terms of what they, no. or what was called no. the fight against no. corruption? No, no. Sadly, the rot was too deep. Um, the Ramaphoria was just an illusion of a kind. Uh, not much has unfortunately changed. As I said to you, I was given the front seat role last week in Pumalanga, uh, listening to various municipalities being held accountable by the Human Rights Commission chapter of that province. And the amount of, of appalling behavior by our very own officials, let alone elected, it, it belies what our forefathers and those who fought for this democracy would love to see today. But then we're reminded by the immortal words of, of Mr. O.R. Tambo, the ANC late veteran, who said, look, don't look at the waging of the struggle against apartheid as difficult. The difficult part is going to come when uh, the majority party is in governance. That's when real issues will start haunting the party. And here we are, almost, what, 27 years into democracy. What material change, and I mean material change, have we brought to our people? When, when Sua is running down the road, when, when municipal revenue, capital basically, is being usurped by those who make executive decisions, when there is manipulation of supply chain management, especially the tendering processes, when the spreading of people, when dissent is not accommodated, when graft and corruption uh, is the order of the day in most municipalities. So in a sense, I'm hoping that our people will begin now to realize that sentiment alone cannot deliver change. But people must start questioning now, play the oversight role, become critical of those who are in power and hold them accountable.
COVID-19, I mean, we're living in that time now. There's a new, yeah. This is a new normal now. The, yeah. Around this time in previous elections, you would see a lot of rallies, you know, see a lot of political parties going around different communities in numbers and you know, um, 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 mobilizing different people from different communities. Yeah. Could we see, uh, uh, obviously there will be changes, but could we see political parties in a way being limited to political uh, uh, um, activities like door-to-door campaigns? Because of this, of, yeah, of look, this, of this campaign, of this pandemic, yes. yes, I mean, take take the experience we had in 2016, which is still fresh in our memories. The the extravagance, you know, expensive cars, distribution of T-shirts, um, unlimited budgets for some of these political parties, uh, the parties that were organised, the the gala dinners. It's, it's not there anymore. Um, worst case scenario is that all thanks to the state capture inquiry, the the funding process, as was the case before, and also before the enactment of the new party funding act, a lot of parties had to review, had to sit back and actually adjust and adapt, not only to COVID-19, but the reality that Electioneering in this country has changed altogether. No longer the days when those who had power and money would just sponsor willy-nilly. Those days are gone. Whether it was a question of buying influence or buying votes, those days are gone. No wonder why we we, we woke up this weekend. I'm saying this weekend to be safe. It could have been today. That... uh, a faction within the ANC, the governing party, is now claiming to have evidence that suggests that the current president actually knew about the nitigrities of raising money for his campaign. But one has to fall back and say, uh, where were the rules of engagement? Why was this party not serious since 1994 to regulate its own affairs, especially raising capital for, for campaigning within its ranks, so that everybody can now be judged and say, "Where na Sulu, where did you get your money? Where na Zuma, where did you get your money?" In a way to strengthen the party and not to conduct somewhat of what has become a witch hunt. I'm not condoning condoning uh, necessarily what 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 the president did, but at the same time, in the absence of obvious rules. And surely uh, there should be there should be some parity where all in sundry are able to participate on an equal footing. So going forward, yes, a lot of work needs to be done intra-party, inter-party. Uh, of course, the 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 new the new uh, uh, funding act is in place. There are loopholes. Uh, anything below hundred thousand might not necessarily be declared. We've seen some parties have not declared anything. How do we know that they made arrangements with their sponsors? So gray areas must still be exploited and and closed down so that in the end, our system works effectively for everyone. Professor, I would have loved to have more conversations around this, but because of time, we'll have to leave it here for tonight. But thank you so much for making time into speaking to us. 
Much appreciated, sir, and a very good evening to your listeners. Professor Barry Hanyane from the Northwest University talking to us about what's happening currently in the political space and obviously just looking around the, the factions in the ANC, you know, looking at um, the issues of service delivery. It's time. Uh, okay, let's, let's take a short break now and then come back uh, with more of this. Join the conversation on Twitter. Tweet us at VowFM, hashtag local voices. Get all your 2021 local elections news and updates right here on Local Voices, VowFM 88.1. Uh, it's just gone 10 minutes before 8 o'clock. Okay, now before we move into the conversation with uh, Innocent Muloi from the South African Independent, Independent Advocacy Group, we I want us to look into um, certain you know, people, the, the people who are against uh, voting. Now, you know, our, our, our team also, you know, went out yet again just to talk about, to look into those who have read the manifestos and who have listened to them and this, the, the, what they had to say. Um, I vote uh, on the basis of, of manifesto. I look at the manifesto. I mean, yeah, I'm that person. If, if the manifesto does not speak uh, to me, as a as an individual, first number one, number two, and if it doesn't speak to certain key issues of uh, of how to deal with certain issues in our country, yeah, then 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 I no, I, I look at the manifesto first. Yeah, so your manifesto must address challenges uh, that the country is facing, and if they answer all my questions, then I'm cool with it. I definitely vote on the basis of the manifesto and not on the basis of my loyalty. I think. We have seen for the past 27 years what voting on the basis of loyalty looks like. Uh, We've seen the ruling party not do much for their people, yet they still stay in power. And I think it's all because people vote on the basis of their loyalty. So, no, for me, I think I then base my, my, my opinions on the basis of the manifesto and not my loyalty to to the party, because I think loyalty can only take you so far. Yeah, no, I beg your pardon there. I meant to say those who are voting based on manifestos. Now, before we get into the conversation with uh, Innocent Moloy, I think it's 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 great to have a background on of what was happening in the south of Johannesburg. Now, last year, the community members of M. Fully Local Municipality shared their stories on how water shortages and lack of uh, maintenance of infrastructure had or have affected their daily lives. Now, this time around, they shared struggles of how this caused uh, the, the lack of maintenance of of sewer pipes have, you know, I would say created issues around their health and, you know, their livelihoods. Now, they spoke about high crime rate and also um, other issues within the south region of Mfuleni local municipality. Now, to have this conversation now, I'm joined by Senior Paralegal Officer at the South African Independent Advocacy Group, Innocent Muloy. Mr. Muloy, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you very much, Sia, and uh, greetings to your listeners. Innocent, what are some of the issues that the communities are still faced with in, with in terms of service delivery outside of the water issue that you covered last year um, at, at, at Sebuking? Uh, well, uh, Sia, we are experiencing the collapse of uh, basic services. Uh, you talk about uh, basic services such as uh, electricity, uh, refuse collection, and sanitization. And uh, I can really attest that uh, this has been going on for years. 
And also, when you walk around your community, do you see any voting, uh, you know, confidence from from <laughs> from young people, particularly? I I, I don't see any uh, because uh, I think young people no longer have the zeal to vote, and uh, I think also they do not have the trust in uh, politicians because. Uh, they always come in and give empty promises. So I doubt that young people will uh, go and vote this time around. And 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 I think remember last year there was this issue, the water issues in, at uh, Mfuleni local municipality that affected Sibukeng, Fande Bay uh-huh. Park, and also Ferenaheng, um, uh-huh. the likes of Everton around those areas. Yeah. Has that issue been been? Has been has it been improved? And and I'm asking because there was also another one that was added on top of that the the, the issue of the Val River be, being polluted. Mm-hmm. Well, looking into this issue, uh, you'd remember that uh, Mfulin local municipality is faced with a lot of challenges, and one of them is the issue with uh, ESCOM. So many a times we witness from time to time that uh, ESCOM is really. Uh, giving the municipality a hammer blow. And um, we've also seen the South African Human Rights Commission coming on board and saying to the municipality that, guys, I think this is the direction that you need to take. But uh, even so, nothing has been implemented thus far, and uh, we still suffer the brand of bad governance. All right, and 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 there was also that issue of the the Mfulin local municipality owing millions of rents to rent water, um, and I mean there was there were talks around agreements to with the with the rent water to to fix that um, issue. Well, that was a conversation. There, oh, that was a statement from uh, Kosonga Sangwen, who, who who was a spokesperson of the municipality. Have 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 they had the opportunity to get into more information on where the municipality stands with rent water at the moment? Well, look, the, the municipality is, is currently under administration. Uh, I think the people who, who seem to have um, been calling the shots, I think, are the administrators, uh, which were brought in sometime, I think, um, two years back, and then the, the, the other administrator passed away, and then they brought in another one. So I think... Um, from time to time, the mayor comes to the communities uh, whenever he feels like. Uh, he comes to the communities to give feedback. And uh, the last time he said to us that um, they had signed a debt settlement agreement with rainwater. And uh, yeah, but so far, I think... Uh, Nothing has been implemented because uh, rainwater is still continuing with uh, the water pressure uh, reduction. Mr. Molloy, because you are in Sibuking, uh, we'll be having yeah. more conversations with you around this thing. But thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you very much, Sia. Innocent Moloi, Senior Paralegal Officer at the South African Independent Advocacy Group, talking to us about the historic issues at Mfulin Local Municipalities, talking about Sibukeng, Fande Bay Park, Vernachen, and all those places that surround um, that uh, municipalities. Okay, uh, we're almost at the end of the show, but just to remind you quickly on uh, exactly who is governing in these key municipalities in South Africa and Joburg, we have the ANC in the, in the Twane, we have 
um, the DA in Esmonda, we still have the DA in Cape Town, we have the DA in Mangawung, we have the ANC in Etewini, we have um, the ANC. You know exactly who is governing, but you have the power in your hand. That's it from me, Osebonga Mota. Until next time. You've been listening to Local Voices on Power FM 88.1. Mondays from 7 to 8 p.m.